0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Christia Freeland's budget includes billions in new spending, including funding for new housing. The housing plan is very intentionally, overwhelmingly focused on supply side measures. 90% of the investment in housing is about driving and increasing housing supply. The new budget includes $15 billion arising from the Liberals' deal with the NDP. Concrete steps that would not have been there but for the fact that we forced the government to deliver and we used our power to get people this help. We still have critiques and and criticism. And the Conservatives say the budget will not get their support.
1: We are seeing an NDP budget delivered by an NDP Liberal government. Justin Trudeau is basically taking money that he's been collecting from Canadians who are suffering because of inflation, and he's using it to pay for the promises that he made to the NDP.
0: It's Friday, April 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna.
1: Good morning, Mark.
0: So, not a lot of surprises in the federal budget. Uh, in, I, I think increasingly over the years, uh, these events have have become a little bit less uh, climactic. Uh, the The features of the budget are often released in advance or hinted at. So uh, there there aren't any big bombshells. But what did you make of of Christia Freeland's budget and the first budget of of this newly elected government, and of course, the first after the deal with the NDP? What were the highlights?
1: Well, you made a good point. I mean, the Liberals and the NDP agreement actually said there would be no surprises. That's part of their good faith agreement, and, and there were, any. And, you know, I think it was interesting that NDP leader Jagmeet Singh came out right away and pledged support from this caucus for this budget. He said the Liberals acted with good faith by funding those key NDP priorities. So that includes dental care um, and pharmacare. No funding announced for Pharmacare yet, but otherwise those items were pretty much word for word. What was in the agreement appeared in the budget. And um, The budget also introduced this temporary Canada recovery dividend, which is a one-time 15% tax for financial institutions on income above $1 billion for the 2021 year. So that was something Liberals had promised it was also mentioned in the Liberal NDP agreement. There was some money for defense, more than $8 billion over five years. But what was interesting about that was there really wasn't any detail about what it will be spent on. The Liberals had been under pressure from the NATO military alliance and others to increase the defense spending to 2% of the national GDP. A federal official in the lockup that we're reading against to read. The budget in advance said that this would get Canada to 1.5%, but what we found interesting about this promised spending was it was a lot of money over five years, but very few details about where it would go and the Liberals say they're going to be launching another defense policy review. So hopefully we'll get some more details on where it's going after that. There was a tax credit for carbon capture and storage. So that's sort of focusing on the industry industry, energy industry's transition um, and how to help them through it. So that's something that we expect to be controversial from the point of view of environment groups. And then a big ticket item is is on housing. Um, Prime Minister Christian feedlin said the commitment to double the number of homes built annually over the next decade is what she called a landmark ambition of this budget. So they're trying to ease the housing crisis with more than $10 billion in funding meant to speed up home construction and repairs. And this is something that really goes after the supply side. Um, there's always a lot of thought that you could make it easier to buy a home in, in sort of two main ways. You could build more homes and increase supply, or you could make it easier and more affordable by making it easier for people to access mortgage and loans and everything like that. But that also has the effect of further driving up the increase of homes. So this really goes after the supply side, which I think many would argue is the right way to go about it. But on the other hand, there is some help there as well. There's a, a new tax-free first home savings account, and they're going to be doubling the first-time home buyer's tax credit to up to $1,500 also to make it easier for people to buy a home. So uh, a bunch of stuff in there, and we'll be uh, looking over over the next months to see how things get implemented.
0: Yeah, and on the housing side, you brought up a couple of good points there. It is it is a challenge because it, it means the government—obviously, housing is, is essential, uh, and many people uh, feel that the, the price has gotten too high and that young people in particular can't afford their first homes— but, of course, there are a lot of voters who own homes that have gone up in value significantly over the past few years. And no government is going to want to deplete those gains for current homeowners, many of whom are in the largest voting block of, of among Canadians, right?
1: That's right. And that's why, you know, they remember it. During the 2019 election, there was this rumor going around that the Liberals were planning to, you know, tax capital gains on primary residences, and they really shot that down. And that's something the Conservatives keep trying—a boogeyman. They keep trying to raise because they know that that's something that will really affect people. You know, the way the market's set up is often a lot of people's planning for retirement is tied up in their home equity, right? So, if the system works that way, it is hard to go after after housing prices without Without having their pack there, so what's interesting is one of the things they're doing is also bringing in a ban on home buying by foreign investors um, for for two years, and so so that's one way where they could go at it uh, housing prices and some of that driving you know speculation and increases without affecting Canadian voters.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh let's talk about uh the deficit. Uh which, you know, the the whole, the overall financial picture is getting bigger obviously as as the economy improves and and some of the spending on on benefits and supports for Canadians during the the pandemic are being uh, are are winding down, but there's still a big deficit, a much bigger deficit than Justin Trudeau ever promised to run in, in 2015. Seems like a long time ago now when he was talking about $10 billion deficits. So what's been the reaction to the the fact that there, the budget is, is still not close to being balanced?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things to look at is that this sunnier economic outlook meant the government had about $85.5 billion more in fiscal room. Um, but they still brought in enough new spending, and that includes $425 billion in program spending in this budget, that the deficit this fiscal year is $52.8 billion. So, so yeah, it's smaller than the $113.8 billion deficit last fiscal year, but there's still so much new spending that it's you know that's all. That's all relative, right? Um, of course, as you mentioned, Trudeau promised in the 2015 platform, and that was a big part of their platform was this idea of interest rates are low, so let's let's do some deficit spending. Let's launch this infrastructure program, which of course uh, has had many challenges. Challenges that were in fact acknowledged in this budget. Um, they would run three years of deficits of no more than $10 billion before balancing the government's books in 2019-2020. Um, and even before COVID-19 blew all of that up, it, was, it wasn't it was going to happen. They weren't anywhere close. So, so yeah, it's it's smaller and it's projected to get smaller and smaller. Of course, we don't know what may happen. And the budget talks about some worst case scenarios with, with the war between Russia and Ukraine potentially having a a greater impact on global finances and, and inflation the longer it goes on um but but this is still a, a, a quite a quite a big spending budget one of the points that freeland makes she she in her speech she really brought up this concept um that was mentioned earlier this year by u.s treasury secretary janet yellen um where she described that country's new fiscal policy as Modern supply side economics. Now, the, the original supply side economics was, you know, a theory made, during the, made popular during the Reagan administration. And, right. and that said that economic growth can come from reduced taxes and less regulation. So Yellen went and said, you know, that can go too far. Um, and if you're, if you're doing too, too low taxes and, and too little low de- regulation,
0: it means you're not investing
1: enough on infrastructure, education, and workforce development. That can lead to labor shortages, it's lack of productivity. So, Freeland in her speech was really emphasizing the need to boost productivity in Canada. And she talked about how we're moving away from COVID 19 supports and towards social economic drivers like childcare, immigration, housing. And she argued that can be a way to tackle inflation and affordability. But, but some of the criticism of yesterday's budget was that, you know, while while it recognizes the country does need to do more to boost future growth, it fails to provide a clear roadmap of how to actually achieve that prosperity in the coming years. Um, So there's a lot of talk about it. There's some agencies meant to drive innovation, but a lot of questions about how all this will work and what exactly is the tie-in between between those big promises and this goal of, of boosting productivity and economic growth into the long term.
0: Yeah. All right. Finally, Joanna, uh, just some quick thoughts from you on what the political implications are of all of this. Uh, obviously, the budget's going to pass. We, I think we knew that before uh, the, the budget began, the process began because of the deal with the NDP and the Liberals. But, but what do you think is the, what are the political consequences of this budget, especially with the uh, conservative leadership race going on and, and other things like that?
1: I think for the Conservatives, I mean, we're we're going to continue to see lots of talk about this being a Liberal NDP government and a, and a coalition and things like that, and, and really railing against the Liberals, you know, shifting more to the left end of the spectrum. Um, I think, frankly, that a lot of the things that were in the budget, you know, they were in the Liberal platform anyway, so the Liberals can sort of say that the NDP can say they got something from it. I'm not sure really they, how much extra they got, um, and they'll have to, you know, be on dental care, really, and they'll have to to sell that to, to their voters come the next election, if it is, in fact, in 2025. So so that's one thing to look for. On the other hand, it does buy the Conservatives some more time um, to wrap up their leadership race, for that new leader to to get some time as leader in the House of Commons and, and really prepare for uh, potentially a further off election. And the other thing, though, I think, is that it also buys the Liberals some time. Um, and, you know, we saw... Family Minister Karina Gold the other week was saying that originally she was planning to introduce this early learning and child care legislation this spring and now under the deal she has until the end of the year and the experts on childcare are saying you know that's actually a good thing you can you can spend the time to do it right so I think we're going to see the Liberals maybe rather than trying to do some big legacy things this year, um, that they do kind of space it out over a few years, and we thought that a hint of that with, with pharmacare, potentially, if that ever does come to pass, you know, there, there is no funding announced in this much budget for it, and Freeland was saying that will come in later years. So it, it buys everyone some time um, for, for good and for ill, and, and we'll see how that all shakes out.
0: All right, great stuff, Joanna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. We are absolutely determined that our debt-to-GDP ratio must continue to decline. Our deficits must continue to be reduced. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues, What was widely expected to be an NDP budget turns out to be one that will appeal to many conservatives. Iveson writes, the NDP's demands on dental care and housing are in the budget, but they are overshadowed by a spending plan that is relatively prudent and responsible. In previous budgets, the Liberals have taken their windfall and spent the lot. But in these uncertain times, Christia Freeland has opted for caution. It may well be that the political stability offered by the NDP deal has given the Liberals the latitude to turn to long-term economic issues that they have neglected to this point. In an editorial, the Ottawa Citizen argues the federal budget is more restrained than the last one, but not restrained enough. The Citizen writes, Christia Freeland appears fully conscious that runaway spending is not a viable long-term strategy. The federal deficit is projected at $52.8 billion for 2022-23. That's not exactly a badge of honour, but it trends in the right direction. There is, of course, no chatter about balancing the budget In the foreseeable future. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues the budget has a sense of panic about Canada's future. Schofield writes The valiant talk, the catchy alliteration, the big spending in the name of a beautiful economy for everyone that was supposed to come at the end of the pandemic, those have been replaced in this year's budget by pervasive uncertainty, crisis after crisis, and a shortage of capital to confront the cascading challenges. The old pandemic mantra of we've got your back has become a focus on something far less sexy, retooling how the Canadian economy works so that we can weather several incoming storms hitting us all at once. At iPolitics, Alan Freeman argues budget 2022 is less than meets the eye. Freeman writes, with no election on the horizon, Ottawa isn't showering the public with lower gas prices or simple cash bribes as the voter-focused provinces are. There are a few baubles, like a new first-time home ownership savings account and a tax credit for renovating your basement to house your mother-in-law. But no big consumer-friendly measures. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Chrystia Freeland will make an announcement in Hamilton, Ontario, about budget investments in housing, along with Housing Minister Ahmed Hussein, Public Services Minister Philomena Tassi, and Minister of Families Karina Gould. He and Ministers Hussein, Tassi and Gould will also meet with members of the Ukrainian community. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April the 8th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.